Praise God. So good to see you this morning. So good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Thankful for his word. Thankful for his presence. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for an opportunity to preach the word of God this morning. What an honor, Lord, to come and to be able to speak your word and to pray and to believe God and to be with other like-minded believers this morning. Lord, we don't take this for granted. What a pleasure, what a, what a privilege it is to be in the house of the Lord this morning. So, Father, I just stand before you as your humble servant. By faith right now, I, I put a demand upon the anointing of God to preach and teach this morning. Lord, there's nothing lacking and nothing missing. And, Lord, we're going to do what you want us to do in Jesus' mighty name. Amen? Amen. Some of you are so freaked out because you are sitting in a seat you've never sat in before. You're like, I feel naughty right now. I don't know if I should even be sitting here. But thank you for doing that. What I want to talk a little bit about this morning is diet. <laughs> diet. We're going to talk a little bit about diet. Now, you don't talk about diet when you just came back from vacation. Amen. We don't talk about diet. But I want to talk a little bit this morning about spiritual diet. Amen. I want to talk about what are we putting into our spirits on a regular basis? Because what you put into your spirit on a regular basis, just like in the earthly life, you are what you eat. We're watching right now the Olympics and we're watching people, which I always think is funny that McDonald's sponsors the Olympics. Because he who eats a regular diet of McDonald's will not be in those Olympics. There is no way that those professional athletes are making a steady diet of quarter pounders with cheese on a regular basis and performing at a peak physical level. Amen? It is important that what we put into our spirits is something that's going to profit me and not hurt me in the long run. Your diet is important, your spiritual diet. I cannot be on a diet and on one day choose to eat really, really well, go to Whole Foods, get the right vegetables, get the right meat, hit the right calorie count, and then the next day go to Pappas Barbecue and get a full slab of pork ribs with potato salad, cornbread. I'm making somebody hungry this morning, aren't I? Amen? I'm making somebody hungry this morning. I can't eat of two different diets and expect a result that's going to profit me. I have to be wise about what I am allowing in. And so I really feel like my job this morning is I need to stand up and defend my God and who he really is. Because there is some erroneous teaching about my God that is going around. And it's erroneous. My God is good. Amen. That's all he knows. That's all he is. Amen. Amen. Say this. God, God is good. You got to say it like me. God, God is good. He's good. He's good. I was in an Italian restaurant with my kids when we were on vacation and I got a calzone. It was good. <laughs> it was so good. Amen. God is a good God. So stay with me a little bit this morning because we're going somewhere, okay? 
I also found some wonderful scriptures on vacation in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, and it tells me of what my responsibility is to you as a pastor. Isn't that good? That Jesus, that God in his infinite wisdom put some instructions for me as a pastor on what I'm to do and what I am not to do this morning. That is so helpful for me. So I know what I'm called to do and I know what he's told me not to do. Let's look at it in 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. It says, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Here we go. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. And let me just say, no one held a gun to my head this morning and said, Jack, you must go to church and preach today. I am not here by compulsion this morning. No one is holding a family member hostage somewhere saying that if you don't go to church today, they're going to get it. I'm here because I want to be. I'm here because I'm called to be. I mean, I'm here because it's a joy for me to be here this morning. I love being here. Amen. Love being here. I'm not here by compulsion. I'm here willingly. Not for dishonest gain. No one said I'm going into the ministry to be rich. Now I'm blessed, but I didn't get into the ministry for dishonest gain. It's not my job to try and get something from you. It's my job to get something to you. And that's how you know whether you're in a good church or a bad church. If someone is always trying to get something from you, there's a problem. I am trying to get something to you. Because when I get something to you, I get blessed also. Amen? Not for dishonest game, but eagerly. Not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. It is not our job as your pastoral staff to control your faith or control your lives. It is not my job to interfere in your personal life and tell you how you're supposed to live, what job you're supposed to have, how you're supposed to raise your kids, all those types of things. That is not my job. My job is to take the word of God and preach it to you and tell you what the Bible says about all those types of things. Now, I think my wife has done an amazing job raising our three kids. An amazing job. An amazing job. But Michelle followed some people who followed the word on how to raise their children. And that's what we use to raise our kids. Come on. We did not just come up with our own way, this good way of raising our kids. We followed a biblical pattern. We looked for an example on how to do it. Our job, Michelle and I's job, is to be a pattern for you of how the word works and how God created it to work in our lives. Paul makes the most, one of the bravest statements I've ever read in the Bible. He says... In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, and let's pull that up, 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, 
He says, follow my example, or that's a better, that's a better one up there. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. That's a big statement. That's brave, isn't it? You follow me as I follow Christ. Now, what I want you to notice is nowhere did Paul ever say, follow me according to my experiences. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, hey, everybody, I'm Paul. And because I had these experiences, you have to have these experiences, too, in order to be who I am and to get what I have. No, no. All Paul said was, is you follow me as I follow Christ. That is Michelle and I's job as pastors of West Houston Christian Center. You follow us as we follow Christ. But don't follow just our experiences. Sometimes we get caught up in people's experiences in issues and they will preach their experience but they're not teaching the pattern of how to follow Christ in that situation. There's an old, old story. Uh, a man running from God, living a terrible life. One day he's walking down a road and he falls into this hole. And he's in this hole and he's trapped and he's stuck. And all of a sudden, finally, he cries out to God, God, heal me, save me, forgive me. Well, as he does that, all of a sudden his eyes adjust a little bit and he sees this little rope that's been in the side of the hole the whole time. So he goes to that rope and he gently pulls himself up. Well, what he does is he goes and gets a club. And anybody that walks by the hole, he hits them in the head so they'll fall down in the hole. So they'll have the same experience that he did in finding God. See, he didn't have to have the same experience, you could cry out to God outside of the hole and the same God will save, heal, and deliver you. I don't have to knock you into that hole so you have the same experience that I did so that you can come to know God the same way that I did. Am I making sense this morning? We have to be wise about following people's experiences and not following the word of God. Now, how many of us have ever prayed for somebody and they were healed? Five people? Come on. How many of us have ever prayed for somebody and they were healed? All right. How many of you ever prayed for somebody and they died? So which is right? Which is right? We prayed for somebody and they lived. And I also prayed for somebody and they died. Does because somebody died negate the fact that I used my faith and prayed for somebody and they were healed? Should I stop using my faith and laying hands on people? Just because we had an experience where it didn't go the way that we thought it would, does it mean that the whole thing of laying hands on the sick is irrelevant? Come on. It always, we always, faith always. It's not if or when or then, it's Lay hands on the sick and they will recover. It's my job just, I'm not responsible for the healing. I'm responsible to do what the word told me to do. Lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. That's my job. 
Just because something happened at the end of it that didn't turn out the way that I wanted to, it doesn't negate the fact that I did what God told me to do. We have to make sure that we're living our life according to the word of God and according to faith and not according to someone else's experience. Listen to me, this is gonna be the most pivotal thing I I say all morning, okay? If we live our lives according to other people's experiences, we'll never rise above that level of faith. I'm never gonna get any higher if I just go by your experience. Anybody ever get delivered from drugs and alcohol? Woo, I did. Amen. If God did it for me, will he do it for somebody else? If God did it for you, you know what I almost did this morning? Was start calling out things and have people run up to the stage as we were praying for people. How many of you have ever been healed from a life-threatening disease? I have. I've been healed from drugs and alcohol. I have. Anybody ever had your marriage repaired or healed? Come on, there are so many miracles. There are so many opportunities for faith in this room, but sometimes when things don't happen the way that they think we should or happen in this time that we've given God, well, it just doesn't work. This is my experience. And instead of preaching what the truth of the word is, we start preaching our own experiences. If anybody had an opportunity to preach his experience, it was Abraham. Abraham married to this wonderful, beautiful woman that he loved his whole life. And even in the best of times, this beautiful woman could not produce a child. Even when things were good. Every day he woke up to this beautiful woman that he loved. And he saw her not be able to produce a child. Every day, every day. If anybody had an opportunity to preach about experience, it was Abraham. But they believed God. And when he was 99 years old, in the worst possible scenario, when everything, everything had dried up and it had already been dead and she couldn't produce in the best of times, now all of a sudden she's pregnant with a son. If she would have stopped, if they would have stopped and said, well, our experience has been that this God that speaks to us said we were going to have a baby. There ain't no baby. See what happens when we get off of our faith and we get on to an experience. Now, my experience in the things of God has been good. It's been good. Amen. I have, but I can't preach to you my experiences. I have to bring you the word of God and I have to give you a pattern and a pattern is something that you can follow. So when we give you a pattern of living, I'm not trying to tell you my way of living. I'm trying to tell you that if you will live according to this word and put it first place in your life and be willing to do what it tells you to do and be able to, if you will learn to be patient and trust God, you will have that blessed, wonderful life that you've always wanted. If you'll do the word, the word will work for you every time. Amen. Don't give up. I always remember there was a, a movie that we were watching in uh, Little House on the Prairie. What was the little girl's name that wrote the books? Laura Ingalls, I believe, or whatever. They, she wrote a series of books, and Little House on the Prairie was not the first place that they settled. They settled in another town first, and her family, they go on the wagon train, and, and they're heading out, and they're heading west, 
And the first people they run unto on the road were people coming back. And their wagon was all broken down and there's arrows sticking out of it. And, and their stuff is all destroyed and they're tired. And these are the first people they meet on their way heading west. And they're like, man, don't go there. Our experience, no bueno por nada. It is not good. It is not safe. There are lions and tigers and bears. Thank you. There's Indians. There's wildlife. Had they stopped because of that person's experience, they would have never written the books. They would have never lived that life. They would have never gone and been very, very prosperous. Listen to me. There are going to be people on the walk of faith all through it that are going to tell you, don't go, don't do it. It's dangerous. It's wild. It's extreme. It doesn't work. All they want is your money. All they want, all these, these crazy things. And I'm here to tell you today that if we'll follow the pattern of Jesus Christ, all we have to do is be like Jesus. All Jesus said is, is I only say those things that I hear my father say, and I only do those things that I see my father do. If we'll do those two things, you will live a, bre- a blessed and prosperous life. Amen. Don't get pulled over into some weird and crazy thinking that's not of the Bible. You have to watch your spiritual diet. Okay, we have to watch. I can't listen to faith one day and then unbelief the next. You're going to have a contaminated faith. And when you go... When you really get hit, you don't want to be sitting there and wondering, well, does this work or doesn't it work? Does God heal? Is it sometimes? Does God put this healing on me to try and teach me something? See, if you get pulled over into that realm of reasoning, we've lost the battle. You have to know that you know that you know what the word says. And listen to me. You need to be writing down these scriptures that I give and you need to be studying this yourself. We take so much of this just as, oh, yeah, I've heard that, I've heard that, I've heard that. Faith doesn't come by just repeating and repeating and repeating. Faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing. There's a difference between listening and hearing. Men, don't we know? There's a big difference. My wife can be talking to me and she says, are you listening? Oh, yeah, 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 honey, I hear you. Did you hear me? No. Say that again. There's a difference between listening and hearing. We have to hear what the word is saying to us. Amen. First Corinthians 11, verse one, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. New Living Translation. And you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Jesus said in John 13, 15, out of the New Living Translation, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Jesus, the last night before he's going to go to the cross, he's with his disciples. He gets up. He takes off his robe as a rabbi. He girds himself with a towel. He goes and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. He says, I'm doing this as an example. He wasn't preaching an experience. Now, look, guys, when I'm gone, you need to go wash people's feet over and over and over. It wasn't about the experience. It was about the example that he was setting forth. Here's the pattern. It's called servant leadership. That's what I want you to get. That's the pattern. It's not washing feet. Really, I don't know anywhere else in the Bible where that ever happens again, where there's a washing of feet. Am I wrong? Anybody? 
I don't think there's another example of that in the Bible. That experience was to show them something. It wasn't something that we were supposed to do over and over and over. Amen? There's a pattern that he was trying to get to us. Now, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now it's interesting that that word cunning, it means crafty, it means shrewd, but it also means sensible. Sensible. Have you ever noticed when someone ever comes to you to talk against your faith, that they want to sound sensible? Hey, come on. Let's, let's just use some common sense here. Really, like a woman's going to get pregnant, a virgin, you know. Come on, let's be sensible about this. Notice that Satan came to them and he appealed to Adam and Eve according to their senses. It's then when she saw the apple that it became beautiful to eat. All of a sudden, her senses were alive. When temptation comes, it's going to come dressed as looking sensible. Come on. Does healing really work today? Come on. Come on, guys. Come on. Let's, let's grow up. Let's wake up a little bit. Does God really want you to prosper? No. God is an ang angry, wrathful, vengeful God. And he's just waiting with a baseball bat to punish you. For something that you had no control over. I'm sorry, was anybody in the garden when the fruit got eaten? Did anybody commit that sin? We're all living off of the repercussions of a sin that we didn't commit. God's not mad at you. God loves you. Amen. God doesn't need you to suffer to prove your love for him. He needs you to prosper and be victorious. That's how you do it. God gets glory when we stand up out of suffering and sorrow and walk out in the victory of it. Now, there's a difference between sorrow and correction. I've been taught a lot through correction. Anybody else? Correction is a wonderful tool used by God through the word to correct his children. It's a wonderful thing. When there is biblical correction in the home, the children are happy and the parents are happy. When there's no biblical correction in the home, it's chaos. There's one way that God gave us to discipline our children. And whether it's, see, it's, it's not sensible. See, that doesn't make any sense. How could biblical correction, how could that really, that's abuse. See, we, we can't do that. We can't harm the child. We're not harming the child. We're saving the child's life. Biblical correction is a wonderful, beautiful thing when it's done correctly. When it's done in love, it brings all kinds of peaceable things into the home. When it's not done, A, the house is in chaos, or when it's not done in love, that's abuse. And we don't, we don't stand for that. Amen? But see, people want to talk us out of how to, how to raise our own children because it's more sensible to do it this way. When you teach your children that I'm not going to do anything until I count three, you're giving them three more seconds to be rebellious. Yeah. 
I'm counting. Okay, I'm really counting now. When I get to 10, buddy, you better start. Let's see, I got nine more seconds to do whatever I want. Don't know why we're talking about that, but we're talking about that this morning. Amen? When God corrects, there's always an end that comes that brings us to a better place. Would everybody agree with that? So correction is a wonderful thing. But God does not bring pain and suffering into our lives to teach us anything. That is an erroneous, that is a doctrine of devils. That the sicker you are, somehow the more holy you are. Can I just tell you that right now in heaven, there is no sickness, illness, or disease? All right. Let me just, does everybody remember the first three chapters in the Bible? Book of Genesis. What was God's original intent for man? Let's say Adam and Eve got into that garden and by chapter three had not partaken of the fruit. Let's say that no one ever partook of that fruit. What would the world look like today? Would there be any sickness? Would there be any illness? Would there be any disease? Would there be any suffering? It was never intended for us. None of those words enter in until Genesis chapter four. You do not see the word toil or sorrow or suffering until after they ate of the fruit. It was never intended for you and I. So when someone wants to argue, I never saw God in the first three chapters of the Bible take Adam and Eve and put cancer on them to teach him anything. I never saw him make them sorrow to somehow prove their love to him. It's not in the Bible. You hear me this morning? These are some sacred cows we're knocking over, but we need to hear the truth about these things. You cannot find everything that God did in the first three chapters of the Bible. He said, and it was good. When he created something, it was good. And then you know what he says at the very end when he was done with everything? Do you know what God says? He says it was very good. There was nothing bad. There was nothing evil. There was nothing in there but good. It wasn't until after sin that sorrow and sweat and toil and all those things entered in. They were not created for us. That's a revelation to somebody, isn't it? You ever think about that? That we were not created for those things, but those are things that came in after the curse. After the curse. Deception will always sound sensible. So let me ask you something. How did Satan, who had nothing, get from Adam and Eve, who had everything? How? He couldn't, he wasn't stronger than them. He didn't have an army. He couldn't kill them. He had no authority over them. How did someone who had nothing get everything from those that had everything? He talked them out of it. Don't let someone talk you out of your prosperous place in Christ. Don't you dare because someone had an experience. Are there extremes in everything? Absolutely. Are there extremes in the word of faith? Absolutely. But I don't throw away the whole message because there's extremes. I've played paintball and seen people go to extreme. I've been scuba diving and seen people do it to an extreme. 
I've seen every sport, every athlete, there are always people that will take things to the extremes. That's not healthy. But I don't throw away the whole teaching just because some people took it to an extreme. Does prosperity work today? Why am I blessed? To be a blessing. That's biblical prosperity. I'm not blessed just so I can have giant houses and mansions and cars and boats. That's not biblical prosperity. That's greed. I'm here because I'm blessed to be a blessing. The more that I have, the more I can give. The more I can give, the bigger influence I can become. The bigger influence I become, the quicker we can get this thing done and go to heaven and be with Jesus. There's, that's why you want to believe for biblical prosperity. We have to ask ourselves, who can we take care of right now if we really had to? Do we have enough in my own personal? Can I take care of somebody if they needed to be taken care of right now? That's why you need biblical prosperity. Well, I just want to believe for my four and no more. That is selfish. I want to be able to help somebody if they need it. Amen. And I can't do that without resources. Got to have resources to do it. Amen. Listen to me. The snake came to Adam and Eve and he offered them an experience. He got them off the truth of the word and he says, I will give you this new experience that you've never had before. Beware of the new experience. Don't let someone talk you out of all the good because they had a bad experience. God is good. He's good. He's a good God and he loves you and he cares for you. Amen. He's a good, good God. You know, Michelle and I, um, I think you probably need to know what our patterns are. I mean, we're submitted to people. Michelle and I are submitted. My parents are still the founding pastors, amen, of this church. Um, I read, I read a lot of E.W. Kenyon. I read a lot of Smith Wigglesworth. I read a lot of Kenneth Hagin. Those are patterns that God has given me as they have followed Christ that I follow Amen. That's important for you to know that. Amen. I don't just read everybody. I kind of stay with my diet. I stay with faith. Why do I stay with faith? Because faith works. I have lived 30 years of a prosperous, good, blessed life. 30 years as a believer. I'd be nice if I was 30, but I'm, I'm not. But I'm just telling you this pattern that I am followed has worked for me my whole life. My body has been healed. My bills have been paid. My marriage has been blessed. My children are in college and graduating from college. You're gonna go do great things. You're in a building, $2.4 million, that's paid for in full. I'm telling you, this pattern works. If you'll follow us as we follow Christ, you'll be blessed. Don't fall for a secondhand revelation of someone else's experiences because you will never rise above it. You'll always be stuck where they, where they were. You with me this morning? Amen. You ready to go somewhere for Jesus? You ready to get up and do some stuff? Come on. We're going to do it by faith. But I got to tell you, I, I, this is the coat that my father gave me. I don't know how to do this any other way. I don't know how to pastor any other way than what I'm doing. 
I'm not going to change overnight and become something that I'm not. I can only wear the robe that my father gave me. I don't know how to do anything else. I don't know how to live any other way. So I can't preach or teach to you different ways of how to do this. This is all that I know. But if you'll stick with us, if you'll get in here and do this thing with us, we can all go somewhere that we've never been. There's a, prom, there's a place that God wants to take us as a church body. Amen? But we got to make sure we're all eating the same diet. we got to be eating this of the same tree. See, Adam and Eve got in trouble because they wanted to start eating from another tree. All they knew was good. Satan offered them another tree, and they partook of it. They changed their diet. And that diet change affected the world till today. Amen? Amen. Smile. Give me one good smile. Come on. This was good this morning. Amen. I might have saved your life today. Let's stand to our feet. Thank you, Lord. You know, Old Testament Joshua. Am I, am I just totally blank? Coat of many colors. Joseph. Old Testament Joseph. His life was characterized by four different robes that he wore. The first one his father gave him was a coat of many colors and almost got him killed. Second coat was when he was in Potiphar's house and he became the leader of his household. Well, how do you know he wore a robe? Because that was in Potiphar's wife's hands when he left the house because he, she tried to get away from him. Third robe that he wore was when he was in prison, when he became the chancellor of the whole prison. But the fourth robe that he wore was the robe of the prime minister, all of Egypt. We all have robes that our father has put on us. And you need to be okay with that robe that he's put on you. Quit looking for someone else's robe. Wear the robe that God the father has put on you. Because when you wear that robe, it's going to lead you to where you're supposed to be, to do what you've been called to do. We keep looking at everybody else's robe and we go, I want to wear that. Oh, I like that robe. I want to do that. No, no, God needs you to be you. God needs you to be 100% you. Get saved, healed, and delivered. Because that's a better you. Amen. Be you, but God needs you. He doesn't need you acting like somebody else. He needs you to be you today. Amen. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, Lord, for your word that's gone forth. We plead the blood of Jesus, Lord, over this congregation. We plead the blood of Jesus, Lord, over those that are watching at home. And Lord, we don't ever want to take, um, go a service without offering an invitation that if you're in this room today and you've never made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, then we would love the privilege of leading you in a prayer and welcoming you to the family. You're not joining a church. You're not joining a religion. You're not joining a cult. You are being restored to your Father, which is in heaven, who loves you dearly. And so all you have to do is just simply pray this prayer. Just say, Dear Heavenly Father, I love you. I acknowledge you. Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart to be my Lord and to be my Savior. Forgive me of all my sins. Heal my mind 
and my body. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me a hunger for your word. Lead me to a good church. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Woo, that's good, isn't it? Hallelujah. If you've never prayed that prayer before, we would love to be a part of your discipleship journey. Here at West Houston, we're a discipleship church. We believe in the word of God that it works mightily. Amen. Michelle and I don't ever stand up before you as two people that are perfect. We are far from it. But every day we're endeavoring to know Jesus Christ more and more. Every day we're endeavoring to be changed more and more into his likeness. Have we made mistakes? One? No. Sure. Absolutely. Will we continue to make them? We're trying to limit them. Amen. Because we know our mistakes have a bigger impact from up here than one if it was just in the congregation. But I just want you to know that Michelle and I love Jesus Christ with all of our hearts. We love each other and we're going after this with all that we got. We're going after it, man. We're, we, we have a no, no person left behind policy at West Houston Christian Center. Amen. If that rapture happens right now, she's going to grab 50 people. I'm going to grab 50 people. We're all going together. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Jesus is Lord. We'll see you Sunday.